the model that I built is because I was watching so many founders get up and pitch investors or network or partners and they weren't including a story and that is a rhetorical technique and what it does is it connects the speaker to the audience it creates something called identification and it it begins that rapport hey everybody welcome to the small business storytellers this podcast is for you if you see business as a tool for making the world a better place. My name is Seth Silvers. I'll be your host. And one of my biggest passions is learning from businesses who are growing without losing their authenticity. On season two, we're learning about how to thrive in times of crisis as we learn from businesses who have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Storyteller Show. I'm excited for today's episode uh, because we get to dive into communications. And if you have spent much time with me, then you know that I am a little bit of a nerd when it comes to communication theory and how to communicate, how to present well. Um, And so I love uh, what our guest today does. Our guest today is Cindy Skalicki founder of On Point Communications. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Seth. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So Cindy and I have known each other for a couple of years. We both live here in Fort Collins. Um, have, you know, we regularly run into each other in the startup and business community. Um, and also, I feel like people think of what both of us do as like communications and storytelling people. Um, and so I think, I feel like our names are commonly thrown into the same conversation, but our listeners do not know who you are. So Cindy, give our listeners a little bit of context for who you are and what it is that you do. You bet. I was actually thinking as you started, Seth, I remember the very first place we sat down to have coffee and it was almost five years ago, if you can believe that. But do you remember where we were when we had coffee? Were we at Galvanize? No, we were no. at Wild Boar. Okay, Wild Boar. I, I was like, right? that, that was yeah. the second option. I was like, which unfortunately. We had both just started our businesses and got together to kind of network. And, and that was my first memory of meeting. And I think we had met at a One Million Cups. Anyway, yes, I'm Cindy Skalicki. And I have a background. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Chicago. I have uh, an, an undergraduate and graduate degrees in communication and uh, an emphasis in rhetoric. I spent time at a big five ad agency in Chicago, BBDO, in the account service department there and worked under some really powerful, awesome brand strategists. And then I also spent time at a global public relations firm after graduate school where we worked with clients who were healthcare only um, organizations. And that was a, a really unique experience as well. Then I took some time to have our family. I have four children and I helped my husband kind of open his business here in Fort Collins. He's a small business owner locally and runs a clinic. And point about five years ago when my youngest daughter was in all day school finally and I had a little extra time on my hands. So for on point, I am kind of playing in two sandboxes, if you will. One is one that I just call public speaking coaching, which just means presentation skills, thing that you're doing to address an audience, whether it's one or many. And that's things like you know, pitch decks, presentations at conferences, TED Talks, 
Um, I even actually was approached once by someone who needed help with a eulogy, which was fascinating, and he was a total stranger. So uh, we are actually good friends now. Um, and then the other bucket that I play in is brand consulting. So I take some of the things from my branding days, and I developed a, a five-part brand program, and I've helped some small businesses and some medium-sized businesses get their brand messaging right. So I'm all about messaging. Cool. Yeah, I think it's so unique that you worked at, um, you know, one of the huge agencies and stuff, just because the agency world is so like, I feel like there's so many small businesses that are looking at their marketing and communication problems through the lens of like how huge companies market and how huge agencies work when like, it's a different game. Like small businesses should not, like they should not be trying to play the same game as these huge businesses. I love that I worked at BBDO when I did, because it was literally at the turn of the century. It was 1999. Was it private or had it been acquired? It was public. Yeah. At that time it was public, but you're right. The agency world, I worked in the old agency model, you know, where, where there was no social media, there was none of that. In fact, more more like, more like Mad Men, but not that old. Right. Right. But it's true. I, I mean, we had no, we actually, I was on the first, I was on the pitch, the new business pitch team that won our first dot-com client. So it was called ethnicgrocer.com. And they were, I mean, they were with us for probably six to eight months, ran out of cash and we couldn't help them anymore. But I remember that feeling. I mean, we were right at the, at the top of the bubble there when, um, when I was working there and it was a great time of life. I was working on Michigan Avenue in the eighth floor, you know, in Chicago at the Wrigley building. It was good stuff. Yeah, I've always been extremely fascinated by the big agency world. And part of part of my challenges at Storyon have been trying to fit big agency solutions into small company budgets, which isn't sustainable. <laughs> um, right. But tell me a little bit about like the story behind uh like why on point and and I'm curious if maybe there were some frustrations or some things that you were exposed to or saw in the big agency world that maybe caused you to say like, Oh, I want to do some things differently. Boy, that is, I didn't start on point intentionally at all. So this was not something that I was like, you know, to open as soon as my kids were off to school. This was a total accident. And so it's kind of a funny story you know, once my kids got into all day school, I started looking for a part-time job, bring in some extra money, you know, go to work from nine to three so I could be home with them after school. So I put my resume together, started going, shopping it around. I'm literally talking to like some of the workout gyms locally to say, hey, can I work at your front desk? Maybe I can get a gym membership also while I'm at it, you know? And I, I shopped my resume around to five or six places and they just sort of looked at me funny and were wondering why I was looking for work like that when I had a master's degree and all this experience. And one person in particular called me after I interviewed and said, Cindy, you probably gave one of the best interviews that we've ever heard, but we sat here thinking about what to do and we realized that we don't want to hire you. And I said, okay, all right, why? And she said, well, we just really don't think that you'll be happy here. You should be doing something more than this. And I said, all right, thank you. And I hung up the phone 
And I feel like that's where I really began to shift my focus. Like that was a message to me. Like I kept hitting dead ends. So I had lunch with a woman who does presentation skills coaching, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I saw her website and I thought to myself, if I could do anything, I would do this. Like I taught public speaking at the University of Georgia. I was hooked. And I said, you can really do this and like make money. So we had coffee and we talked for a long time. And by the end of that coffee, she said, Cindy, would you coach me? I have a TEDx talk next month and I'm not above getting a coach, even though I am one, but I would really love your help. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I didn't have a, a name for my business. I didn't have a check checking account for her to pay me with and nothing. And, and so that was the start. And so I coached her. She did great side in the arena after her TEDx talk. And she said, Cindy, I really think that you should do this. You're really good at this. And I stood outside of my house that afternoon and I asked my husband, do you think that I should try this? And he was like, you would love this. And then on point was born. I, I guess I'll close with this funny thing that on point communications and my tagline master the message. I didn't make up either one of those. My husband did. <laughs> so it just goes to show that everyone needs outside perspective. Everybody does, even me. And I, um, that's what I provide for people is outside perspective on their messaging. That's amazing. I, I love that. And I, I, when I was in college, I like, I entered college, uh, planning on majoring in, I think my, I think when I started, I was majoring in pastoral Christian ministries and minoring in graphic design. Um, and then I, uh, started getting into some communication classes and realized I loved them. And then also like halfway through college, I started realizing that part of the reason I wanted to be a pastor was because people saw my communication skills and they were pastors and they said, Oh, you should do what we're doing. So it was kind of like the, the culture I was in, everybody was like, Oh, you should go to ministry. And I started to realize my skill set, like what felt more right for me was business. And so I, I remember when I like feeling so alive, when I talked with somebody and they told me about the degree they were doing in the, the major minor split and stuff. And so I ended up studying, um, organizational and interpersonal communications, uh, and then got like a minor in business management. And so, um, but I remember as I was taking these communication classes and starting to learn these communication theories, it was like, I felt like it was ruining me because I couldn't unsee. Like once you learn these communication theories, like, and you start learning like the way that people tick and the way that people communicate, um, like it like changed. It was like, I finally put like glasses on and could see people clearly for the first time um, and stuff. So I think communication, like it's just such, it's, it's so fascinating. So mm-hmm. has it been fun for you? Like, have you enjoyed it? Like (laughs) some of the people at the beginning said like, Oh, you'll really enjoy this. Have you enjoyed it? And, and what have been some of the highlights over the last five years? Wow. Oh yes. I have absolutely enjoyed it and still do. I get, and I know that I'm doing the right things because I still get the same high that I always have when I'm working with someone and digging their messaging apart. And you know, my first I'm kind of lighting up at messaging, just kind of how you were describing. 
was in college also, I had this super influential professor who introduced me to the term rhetoric and Aristotle and, and his theories. And I remember sitting down in the, in the basement at uh, St. Mary's College to do my homework that night. And the first assignment we had was to dissect Hillary Rodham Clinton's commencement address at Wellesley College in 1992. And the question asked for the assignment was, was this an effective rhetorical act or not, and why? So did she do what she set out to do for the audience? Why or why not? And we had to prove our point. We had to create an argument. And we had to analyze it from three perspectives, speaker, audience, and message. And I just, I loved it. I loved every second of pouring over every line, every word, every story, and saying, oh, she used this language here so that she could do that. She used this story here to meet the audience at this place. And because this is what was happening in the world at that time, you know, all the, it's like being a detective. And so, so yeah, everything that I have done at On Point has been complete joy and it's hard. There are times that it's hard. In fact, I'm kind of in a place now where I'm trying to, you know, break past my large lovely referral network into places where people don't know me yet. And I think that's been probably the most recent, or that's been the challenge that I've been facing the most recently. Um, but some of the highlights, probably um, some of the one-liners I will get from clients after they've really done amazing in front of a group. Um, and things that they'll say to me about how they never could have imagined getting up in front of an audience of 300 people and feeling confident and not stumbling over their words or sweating profusely, right? Or finding out that my client has gotten the funding from investors that they wanted or that they won the Spark Award for, you know, for our local BBB. I mean, some of these wins, I'll get phone calls I remember one time I got a, a voicemail from a client and he said, Cindy, I put that executive summary that you wrote in front of Michael so-and-so who runs this huge entity. He's seen thousands of these and he put yours in the top 15% of any that he's ever read. And, I, and his voice was just, so that's the stuff I live for is, is helping people see, like you said, helping them take the glasses off for themselves or put them on or whatever analogy it is so they can see their messaging that way. I think people yeah. are scared, you know, they're scared to that they can't learn these things. And right. I just say, no way you can. Yeah. Do you feel like it's, um, what's the balance between effect communications being like an art or a science? How do you kind of like look at it in those ways? Oh, I would, my initial gut is to say it's 50, 50, you know, one, if you can learn the theory and you can learn the ingredients or the tools that you need from your tool belt, you know, some of the rhetorical tools that we need, one of them is story, right? I mean, one of the main reasons that I built the model that I built is because I was watching so many founders get up and pitch investors or net or, or partners and they weren't including a story. And that is a rhetorical technique. And what it does is it connects the speaker to the audience. It creates something called identification and it, it begins that rapport. So I like, I like the science part, but the art comes from the person and each person has different skills 
and gifts. And I like picking that out for them because a lot of people, no one has told them they have any skills <laughs> in public speaking. And I might say something like, you know, you have really genuine eye contact and that's a huge plus for you or your voice. Like I've heard several specifically men, you know, you have a booming, awesome radio voice. You need to use that and let's talk about how. So things like that bring in the art of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a good way to look at it as opposed to just trying everybody trying to be like this speaker they see online or this speaker they see at an event and stuff. And I love that you mentioned like this detective side of it. I'd, I'd like to talk some about like what's going on currently in the market with the coronavirus pandemic and some of how that's going to change communication. But I'd, I'd like to do this kind of like impromptu, like almost like lightning round of like, can you just like, what are some of the like, what are like four or five things? Maybe it's two, maybe it's five. I don't know. Like the biggest things that people shouldn't do when presenting, like the biggest, let's do like, like the biggest should not for presenting and the biggest shoulds for presenting. I just did a slide on what you should not do. So let's see if I can remember <laughs> them all. <laughs> you should not apologize to your audience for feeling, you, generally you shouldn't really apologize unless it's a really warranted thing. But I hear people say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little nervous or, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, audiences don't really like that. They don't want to hear you apologize. You should not wing it on the opening. You should not wing it on that story. You should chisel that sucker out and you should know your first couple of lines pretty much verbatim. And you should think really hard about how you want to tell the story. What are the words and emotions that you want to use? You should not look at your slide deck behind you unless you are using one of the slides like it's a teaching slide. So let's say you have like oh, a mock. I agree. I saw yeah. it. That's like one of my least favorite things. I mean, everybody sat through a PowerPoint where they're just reading it off. It's like, you should have just sent me the PowerPoint and save me the time. <laughs> right. Exactly. You, to, and to that point, you should not have more than one graph on a slide. <laughs> there's yeah. another one. I mean, there's a lot of that I could just turn into shoulds, but you should not have tons of information on the slide and put it all up at one time. You also should not, um, you should not resist hard questions. You know, at the end, let's say you have a Q&A session, you should not resist or be defensive. You should be open to other people's thoughts and feedback and bring in some humility when it comes to other people kind of, you know, trying to, maybe they're trying to poke holes or, or maybe they don't understand, but you should maintain that level of professional maturity, if I could say that, because don't we look silly when we cut someone off, when they're saying something negative or we're feeling defensive or things like that. Um, so those are five that came out randomly right. of things you should yeah, not do. That's great. What about some of the do's? Well, my, the first one that comes to mind is you should get really comfortable with 
practicing and rehearsing. I just think that when it comes to the art of public speaking, that is the biggest downfall that I see when it comes to people presenting. They don't do it enough. They just don't do it enough. They're scared to hear their own voice, it feels like, when you, when you come out and, and you really need to practice. And that kind of comes from an experience I had where I remember I had this huge presentation at BBDO with like 200 all-male managers at Bayer Corporate in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I did so much preparation. It was ridiculous. And I had about 90 slides I had to present. But Seth, I got all that information. And I, I mean, I knew it so well. I could do it in my sleep. And if you can get to that place, it is so incredibly powerful to get up there and now you don't have to think about what you need to remember to say. Now you can engage the audience. And people don't do that enough. They don't do it enough. They don't, they don't take the time or maybe see the value. That's kind of one of my things that I try to really help people understand. Like, if you want to get to that I nailed it feeling, which is what I tell people we're always going for, um, you got to live the message. You have to have it so much inside of you that it's, it's just going to come right out pretty close anyway, but it takes, it takes effort. And there's a lot of short shortcuts that I have that help people learn the content better because you know, so you should, you should rehearse and you should practice in front of other people. Um, it helps you take away the feeling that people can see the wheels turning in your head about what you're going to say next. Um, you should edit your slide decks down. You should take time to edit, go through the process of editing. Uh, other shoulds. You should do three things when you start your pitch, if you're on a stage, or even, you know, like virtually. We're always doing so much virtually now. You should stare at the pinhole. You know, that's how you're going to get eye contact across to the virtual audience. You should kind of lean in and really be present. You should say the word excited somewhere in the beginning. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And you should smile. You should be you. You should not be yeah. afraid. <laughs> so wow. I'll pause there. Yeah. But that's that my... <laughs> such good practical advice. I have to ask, have you seen, um, are you familiar with Nancy Doherty? I know that name. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I haven't read yeah, her. So, what did she write? Or So she's, um, she's kind of, she hasn't, she's not necessarily as known for being an author. She's written a couple books, I think called Resonate. And then she just wrote one called um, Data data storytelling or something. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, yeah which would be really interesting. But um, he has my favorite TED Talk of all time that I, I saw when I write before, when like my business was still an idea in my head and I was trying to think of it and just think through everything for about a year. And she has this TED Talk about um, pretty much the, the structure behind the world's greatest presentations. Oh, um, geez. I better and if you have that. not seen it, <laughs> you'll love it. And I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm, I, I feel like I've probably just assumed that you've seen it, but she goes, into, um, she talks about the hero's journey, um, which is a lot more popular now than it was five years ago. Um, but she goes in and she pretty much analyzes, uh, Steve jobs, 
iPhone release speech in 2007. Oh, I have seen um, this. Yes. Now yeah. You're and then she analyzes oh, uh, awesome. like Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech. I have and, one on that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like the most brilliant thing ever. Um, we would and it be just good shows friends. You know, <laughs> uh, I remember when I saw that, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I just think showing you might have been the like, one that showed me who she was. And I think you I sent me her have. stuff years ago. And I, I yes, might, uh, you're, it's ringing a bell. That's fantastic. Yeah. But there's, I, I think about, I think about like that presentation so mm-hmm. often um, mm. and stuff, but it just shows that the, the true, like great presenters of our day, um, they, they just, they practice, they put work into it and stuff. And, oh, um, and, totally. and, and it's just, I, I think that's probably my biggest downfall in speaking is, um, I feel comfortable speaking. Um, and so I feel comfortable, I feel fairly comfortable winging it. Mm-hmm. And so I trust myself to wing it. But the, the times in my life where I've actually like rehearsed multiple times, like it's like, night and day difference the, mm-hmm. the, the difference oh, completely so um I, I i specifically remember a few of the first times in my life that i really really practiced and it was a game changer and i actually remember um the only speech that i got a bad grade on in college um and i delivered it i like you know, felt comfortable. So I didn't really like practice a ton. I didn't really work on my outline that much. I just kind of like showed up and gave it. And my teacher actually pulled me aside. And this was one of those, like the weird, those weird tough love moments where you're like, I think you're trying to help me out. But (laughs) she initially told me, she was like, your speech was one of the best ones in the class, but I'm giving you a bad grade because I can tell that you didn't actually prepare, like you, like it was maybe you could have done better. Than- you, Seth Silvers, could have done better. Yeah, yeah. But she was like you overlooked your potential in it, and so that was it. Was a really interesting moment for me where I realized, like, oh, okay, like you know, maybe some some of my like social skills, I might feel more comfortable in front of people than others, but that doesn't mean that like I have let like I still have it a ceiling that I can grow to and that I can practice and get better and better and better. So I resonate so much with everything you're saying. Oh yeah. That's, um, you know, there are like, there are people more gifted than others in public speaking and, you know, you can go, go out there and wing it and I can do the same, get up and give a workshop or a new, I can make it look like I've known that for a long time. And really I just made the deck last night and threw a story in at the beginning and I can, I can do that, but um, there are other people that, you know, they're just paralyzed by fear. And, and, I, and I actually really like working with people who are good, but not all the way great for themselves yet, because there's such fun stuff that I can do with them specifically. Um, but the other thing that I know is that when I get slide decks and I take a look at them that are draft form, you know, I've learned over the years that there are just things people just don't know about the way that things ought to look or come across. And so I've been affirmed that this work and coaching and instruction is really needed because I'll look at things and I'm like, really, this is the best you've got because this needs a lot of work. And, and you're not, you're showing me that you don't know some of the, some of the fundamentals of how to show people 
this message in a cohesive way. You know, the speaker is supposed to make the job really easy for the audience. It's a, so when you see, like you said about Steve Jobs, you know, people that make it look easy have worked their tails off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have spent so much time, maybe not even practicing, but thinking really deeply and hard about what they want to communicate. And so um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun and there's no shortage of folks. It's just getting them to see the value of doing the work. And the more they're asked to present at work or the higher the stakes are, the closer they come. <laughs> yeah. so. And I mean, really anybody can do it. Like anybody can present, present well. And I'm sure that you've seen that. How are things shifting for you, um, specifically like in this season with coronavirus, with the pandemic? I know you've done like in-person workshops before and stuff, but like, how is your business shifting or pivoting in this moment? Like, what are you guys working on in light of everything yeah, that's going on? Yeah, sure. Well, when the pandemic first hit in mid-March, I immediately lost a couple of standard workshops that I provide for some government agencies and for some universities, which is understandable. And I don't know when I'll be able to return to you know live in-person workshops, but I do love those. So I'm trying to pivot that toward more webinar-oriented workshops and learning time with, with organizations. So one pivot has been to try to grow the muscle in the webinar world. I also do have this online program that teaches people basically soup to nuts how to perfect a pitch. It's a pitch deck that you come out with really strong. And you've also learned, you know, some rhetorical theory, how to organize slides. You've learned slide deck savvy. And also we do a lot on rehearsing and even um, practicing Q&A. So that's kind of a longer term, deep work piece that I'm, that I'm also working on. But um, to be honest, Seth, I had a good amount of work up until about you know, I've seen a dip in the last week or two, and now I've got some longer term pieces that I'm hopeful will 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 uh, or reorient. But I'm working on virtual stuff. You know, I, I do a lot and can coach a lot on how to really maximize those Zoom environments because we're going to be living in it for a while. So, yeah. Do you think that there's any long term? effects or changes that will be made to kind of the communication landscape through this? Like, do you think that virtual events are going to be more, I, I feel like before this, it was like, I didn't really look at a virtual event as like that valuable. It was kind of like definitely a backup. Like when you look at the future of communication in the next couple of years, what are some shifts or changes that you think are happening? I, I'm seeing two, and maybe there will be another one that pops up in my head, but one is clearly, I agree. I think that virtual meetings, virtual events are going to stay at some level. I don't think people will choose virtual over an in-person conference, for example, but I think that it's definitely going to be, we're going to keep seeing that and it's going to live on. I think that people will need to, as a result, get really good at their virtual communication skills, which is a different ball of wax than being in a room. You know, there's, there is like Zoom presentation anxiety. People, you know, when you look at a Zoom screen with 20 faces, that is so not how we look at a real room filled with people. <laughs> you know, when you're in, if you're in the audience, if you're a speaker, it's a different way of looking at your audience. But when you're a participant, you know, your face is on the screen the whole time. So it's very strange. 
The other thing, though, I think I've seen some unfortunate uh, like downturns in email and written communication that has been a little that I think is kind of concerning. And I, and specifically, that's with regard to Q&A sessions that I've been watching on large events. Because without a voice and a face behind a, someone asking a question, I've been watching, you know, I was at some all-day pitch events where questions were coming in, and they just sound or could sound like attacking questions. You know, I have a rule like, don't you like it's called the N apostrophe T syndrome is what I call it. And it means you should not start with those with that contraction. It's like, shouldn't you, wouldn't you, couldn't you, didn't you? And those are just immediately going to put people on the offensive or defensive. And so I say eradicate your questions, get those out. Don't use those. How can you frame and flip the question as a curiosity or I wonder or I noticed, those are all good words. I'm curious about, I wonder how, I noticed that. Could you explain more? So are you saying like maybe that uh, in some like Q&As that you've seen virtually that almost like the questions are maybe more harsh than they would have been they if are it was abs- in person? In my, yes, in my opinion, they're absolutely more harsh. Some of them are just flat out. And I'm, I'm going to put some tone behind it that maybe isn't there, but it's how it's, it's read by probably most people, it's like, well, why didn't you look at the numbers for next year? Or, you know, it's just those um, pointed, because the the asker is behind the screen. They know they can't be seen. It's like social media suddenly has, you know, come into these professional arenas. And that makes me a little concerned. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about the tone side of it, because tone is so important in communication. I mean, we've all had, I think, anybody in any relationship has had like misunderstood texts where yes. or something where you realize like, Oh, well that's not what I was saying, but that's what, just cause the, cause yep. tone is missing. So it's really interesting to think about taking tone primarily out of a lot of communication. And also how can you soften it? Cause I've learned over the, you know, I've, I've started to add a sentence maybe to explain that if I'm saying, you know, Hey, do you think you'll have that draft by the end of the day. I don't want that to come off sounding demanding or frustrated. And so I'll add something like I'm headed out tonight for an, you know, for an event. And I just wanted to check in because if I can't look at it tonight, I can, you know, kind of um, diffuse any possibility of a miscommunication. And so I'll add a sentence or two, like not trying to be X, just want to check in on Y without sounding apologetic either, or, you know, it's a balance, but I think that it's so written communication. I can see um, people needing to polish up a little bit better since we're doing a lot more of that right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, As we kind of bring this to a close, what would some of your advice be to business owners kind of in let's make it about kind of this season of like virtual communication and stuff. You gave a few tips of, you know, leaning in and different things, but um, what would your advice be to people that, at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to be communicating virtually a lot more? I would say, do you know, don't be afraid of that virtual channel because it's our only chance right now to be present with people. And so people often, oh, I don't like Zoom. I don't know how to use it. Figure it out, guys. You know, find a way to 
to do some test calls or run those 30 minute meet and greets. I, I looked at my numbers in early April, Seth, and I had, I had decided like, I'm going to take any, as many 30 minute meetup, greet up call, meetup calls if, as I want, as I can, because everyone's sitting at home. I had like an uptick of like 50% or more, you know, from like, like 36 calls in, in a week or something crazy, but I was connecting with people. Yeah. So on your virtual calls. Yeah. I noticed the same, I noticed the same thing. Like once I like became okay with connecting virtually, I realized like, wait, I could, I should probably do this more often because it's way more accessible than having to coordinate schedules and the location. Think of all the people you have access to now that you don't when they're traveling the world or they're doing, you know, other kind. there, there's a lot of, some dead space. So specifically though, like look at our, our frames right now, Seth, both of us had our cameras like straight on to our eyes. Like, so if you can see in your own camera lens, if you can see your ceiling fan or your crown molding, it's not the right angle. So if we're talking about specifics of, you know, you know, things like that, put your best foot forward and have a plan for your call that you will do for that virtue. You know, it doesn't have to be a sales call. It can be a relationship building call. It can be, let's trade referrals. Let's keep each other in mind here. I have a resource for you and it's really been nice to meet you. You know, these are some basic, so it's grow your network. That's what I would say. Start, you know, if you haven't already maintain your network and grow it right now during this strange time. Yeah. Well, I, Totally agree. And those are all really good things to keep at the top of our mind as most business owners or professionals are on some kind of virtual call every day um, and stuff. So I think it's really great to keep those things in mind. Uh, I still, I've thought about this about probably, probably actually over a hundred times since I sat in your presentation in February at Startup Week. Uh, when you just mentioned the simple thing of look at the green dot, like look at, yeah, look at that darn dot, <laughs> look at the dumb dot on your computer yes. instead of looking at your own face or someone else's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've thought yep. about that so many times since <laughs> uh, and it's common sense, but like you saying it and putting mm-hmm. it out in the world, I was like, okay. So I think about that yeah. all the time. Good. Well, I'm so glad it landed with you, but it's, it feels so stupid and it's totally ironic, right? Because I'm staring at this computer dot, but you feel like I'm looking at you and so does everybody else. Yeah. And that's my only shot at any kind of eye contact. Right. So I got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Thank God so. for peripherals. So you can still kind of see what's <laughs> right. going on. Well, thank you exactly. so much. Uh, how can people stay in, like, where's the best place for people to stay in touch with you and to keep learning from you? Easy. I'm, I'm all over LinkedIn. That's my best channel. And I just recently started doing 9am tips every day. So Monday through Saturday, there is something and I have a little content calendar slide that I post every now and then that says what happens on each of those days. So Mondays, it's a video tip. Tuesdays, it's a slide tip. And you can learn to nail it on a weekly basis, just a little bit at a time. So LinkedIn is the best place. And I have a my personal page, anyone's welcome to shoot me an invitation. And I also have on point communications as a company page there. So those are the best places. I'm at Facebook and Instagram too, but that's the best place to okay. get me. Great. And what's the, what is uh, your website? www.onpoint-communications.com. So on point is one 
word, then there's a hyphen. Awesome. Communications.com. So thanks, Seth. This has been super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to getting this uh, this episode in front of our audience. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, me too. Thanks for watching, everybody. Do you want to grow an online brand that is profitable and authentic? Do you know that you have a ton of great ideas for content that you want to create, but you need accountability and strategy? Do you want to grow online, but online marketing just seems overwhelming? If your answer is yes to any of these questions, then I want to personally invite you to join our private marketing community, successwithstories.com. Success with Stories is the premier community for purpose-driven businesses committed to growing online by marketing with stories. Inside of successwithstories.com, you will learn how to create online content that converts, how to build a connection with your audience that outlasts any crisis, and most importantly, you're going to learn how to grow your business in a way that feels authentic to you. Honestly, right now in 2020, things are a bit crazy and unpredictable for all businesses. And so we think it's really important to show you how you can build a crisis-proof online brand. Head to www.successwithstories.com to join Success With Stories. Don't wait another day. We'll see you inside of Success With Stories.